This is the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And this time we're talking about the Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 6, Eyes Without Pity. Do you want to know who created the Adam? A monster. She was a sister of your White Tower. I said I don't have slaves. What did you do as a novice? They want to curb your power, you know that. To waste your life on parlor tricks. We, Sean Chan, want you to use your power to the fullest extent, the way you were born to. No woman can have power with the collar on her neck. I like Wayne. You are not a woman. You are a demone, and a powerful one. I hope they told you at your White Tower just how special you are. Hello wheelies, it is I, Chris, and you're listening to the Wheel of Time podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about episode 6 of season 2, the one and only Eyes Without Pity. And I only have eyes for you. I'm back and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host who I only have eyes for too. Oh, yes. Very nice. I only have eyes for you boys. Thanks, buddy. I can't, I can't see right now because I don't have glasses on, but I only have eyes for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your wife will be delighted to hear that. I'm one of your co-hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow wheelies. I am your third and final host, John. I'm so glad to have Chris back this week. I did a homework uh, that we should have done before uh, Wheel of Time series began. Um, the first Wheel of Time book came out in 1990. So, Eric no, King. there was no inspiration taken from the Wheel of Time for <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, it was definitely uh, after that. So a uh, much later series than we thought. Uh, we thought they came out in the 70s and continued throughout the 80s. But first book in 1990, apparently. Okay. Very good. There you go. So way beyond. Record correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Chris was actually reading them at the time they came out. Yeah. You were waiting. Yeah. Books. I was waiting for the final. Oof, the final. I, I read the last five as they came out. Right, right. Um, I remember reading the first two or three. I remember, the first few were kind of, I could kind of block book them. Yeah. Uh, and then it was kind of definitely the, the last few I was each eagerly waiting. Mm-hmm. And then we had a long stint uh, after poor old uh, Robert Jordan died. Yeah. And we didn't know who was, to, if it was taking over, if it was going to just be it abandoned, yeah. whatever. And then Brandon Sanderson came in with, uh, after Jordan's wife kind of gave him the, the outline and the book. And then that got split into two books. Yes. And we were like, oh my God, it's happening. It was kind of like the Game of Thrones finale, but for book readers. Mm-hmm. And split into two kind of seasons. Right. Like, oh my god, it's happening! Yeah, it's happened. What's gonna happen? So the oh opposite. my god, it's book two. Yes. So the exactly. opposite of what happened with uh, with Game of Thrones, where it was uh, cut down into a really short season, and uh, 
satisfied a lot of us fans, but a lot of other fans wishing oh, that yeah. it had been spread across three or four seasons. <laughs> so up to where end. I do love your turn of phrase, though, Chris, that you block booked them. That's really good as a, yeah, as, as a, a, a description of reading your first uh, set of Robert Jordan books. <laughs> yes. And block booking, like, I actually <laughs> actually do have the, the completed sets now, which right. come in, like, books of three, and they're in blocks. So I have block books of... The Wheel of Time. I like it. I like it. Good stuff. Don't forget, we have our Wheel of Time Tavern quiz coming up at later in this episode. And yes, we will be asking you to put on your thinking cap, give us the answer to this question, and then gather together all the answers from the eight questions and email them to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com at the end of the season to get your hands or to be in with a chance to get your hands on some Wheel of Time goodies. Don't forget, if you also really enjoy what we do, head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and you can subscribe on each of the platforms and follow us there and get all the fun and games there. Or you can send us your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and you can also head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where you can leave us your thoughts there as well. We have a spoiler post for each and every episode that we're covering. Mm -hmm. I think I said feedback too many times there. (laughs) So feedback, feedback, feedback. Yeah, and we also have a Blue Sky account now. If you want to follow us over in Blue Sky, um, you can follow us as tvpodindustries. Same handle as Twitter. Blue Sky seems to work exactly the same as Twitter, except uh, a lot fewer political debates and uh, a lot fewer people. (laughs) So come over and follow us there if you have an account over in Blue Sky. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Derek, do you want to tell us what they gave us for this episode? (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Of course, this series is based on the book series by Robert Jordan. The showrunner for the show is Rafe Lee Judkins. And this episode, once again, directed by Maya Verveo, who directed episode five. Uh, This episode was written by Rami Park. She's been a staff writer on the show all the way throughout uh, Wheel of Time season one and into season two. And was the writer of the Wheel of Time Origins shorts on Prime Video X-Ray. You know, the ones that uh, that add all the detail of the universe to the Wheel of Time. They were really good. so delighted to have uh, Rami Park on board for such a big episode. Yep. I'm hoping they do a few more of those this season towards the end. Yeah, there's quite a few. It's just weird because um, the X-Ray is only available when you watch on your laptop or on your, uh, on your so PC. It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, you can't get it on any of the apps. You can only see them there. So there are some behind-the-scenes stuff. There's some other uh, some other uh, background uh, stuff that's that's there. Uh, obviously, with the writer strikes, that kind of thing, these are all pre-recorded quite a long time ago. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully there'll be more um, background stuff on, uh, on Wheel yeah. of Time delivered there. But uh, definitely go check those out if you didn't check them out when they're out in season one. They're really, really good. John? Do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Wheel of Time Season 2, Episode 6? Sure. In the dream world, Lanfear tries to convince Rand to join her by promising to protect him from Ishmael, while Rand asks her to prove that they at least had a connection from the previous months together when Lanfear posed as Selene. Lanfear accepts by showing him that Egwene is imprisoned in Falm, and provided one condition is met. He must abandon Moraine, otherwise she will kill Moraine if she ever sees them together again. Rand leaves Moraine and prepares to leave Carienne for Falm to rescue Egwene. At the same time, Matt and Min arrive in Carienne, and Rand and Matt meet in the foregate, catching up on their adventures. Rand tells Matt that Egwene has been captured in Falm, and they agree to go off together. But Min warns Matt that Ishmael intends for him to go to Falm with Rand, where he may try to kill Rand. This causes Matt to avoid leaving with Rand, who starts off to Falm on his own. 
Before he can leave Carrianne, he is intercepted by Lan, Al- Alana and her warders, who tell him that they can't let him leave. While at the same time, Swan Shan, the Amaralyn seat, who arrived in Carrianne with Lan, summons Moraine for an audience, after Lan warns the Amaralyn of Moraine's actions and the Dragon Reborn. Back in Falm, Rena, a Sul'dan, begins the ritual to break Egwene and make her understand that she is not a woman, not an Aes Sedai, only a Daman, a magic user who needs to be leashed and controlled by Rena through the Adam, a collar used to control Daman. Rena begins to slowly ramp up a physical and psychological torture to break Egwene. Elsewhere in the city of Falm, Nynaeve and Elaine are in hiding with Rima and Aes Sedai and her warder, Basan. As they pass the hours away, confined indoors, they try to understand a stolen Adam collar to rescue Egwene. But in the channeling of the One Power, Nynaeve channels too much during their attempts to open the collar, giving their location away to the Senshan, who come for them. Rima and her warder fight the Senshan to protect Elaine and Nynaeve, but Basan is killed, and Rima is captured and collared. Yes, she is. She certainly is. Like, this is really quite a heavy episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But, I mean, some of the performances here, you know, when you think of having to get into that mindset, mm. uh, whether it's Egwene and even Rena, you know, with all those scenes in, in the cell, yeah. um, or I think Rima as well, fighting with her water, I mean... There's some really good stuff in this episode. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Like just really good acting. Yeah. I felt so far this season because, you know, uh, Egwene is such a powerful character. I felt so far this season that she's been a bit in the background, uh, hasn't yeah. really reached the potential that she expected to reach when she got to the White Terror. But Madeline Madden in this episode just does such an amazing job oh, of that. The torture that's going on, the pain that she's going through, not just physically, but also the mental torture that she's going through. She just performs it so well. It's a yeah. tough episode, but she- it's great that we're getting these moments for Egwene. It's har- horrible to watch. Sorry, that sounded really bad it's horrible to watch but it's great that madeline madden is is getting these moments because they're great moments for her to have yeah i mean she for me she knocked it out of mm-hmm. the park and um, it was so so kind of real yeah. um and visceral and i mean you know you say that quite a lot but i mean i i guess you know as an actor sort of preparing to do torture scenes as Mm -hmm. the tortured but even as the torturer you know and i guess you know such a great name for the episode eyes without pity yeah um okay you know for me that is absolutely uh rena encapsulated here and uh yeah really good yeah but on the on the, the acting part, at least sometimes with other torture scenes when there's no magic involved, mm-hmm. like you got like, oh, your hand's in a vice and they put a fake vice on. Yeah. Here, Madeline had to contort herself yeah. to make it look like she was being kind of broken by mm-hmm. the power. Um, and like then when she was hung. Yeah. Like and she, she, she pretend like she's joking. The the level of detail in the um for just even some of the cuts and the bruising like they gave her full-on red eyes mm. like that she's popped blood vessels in her eyes yeah. so those contacts that made it look like oh you don't usually see that now yeah yeah that they progressed it over time to show that she was being beaten and abused 
by the power so much mm-hmm. that it was just like popping blood vessels. Yeah, and she's fighting back against it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Both those things really encapsulated in those scenes. Um, but we have a lot of that to talk about mm-hmm. and probably more. But we'll jump in straight away to our spokes for this episode. And I think probably start with some of the lighter stuff. Mm. We'll start with spoke number one. Rand in the land of dreams. It sounds yeah. like John's lighter dreams. stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It does sound like lighter stuff. I mean, at least we had tops off at Randall for uh, <laughs> that was some light relief. Yeah. Um, yes. I have to say, and as we uh, as we were talking about before the podcast, though, completely unattainable body image. Yeah, I the, guess, for me, this but was... obviously not because he's got it. He's got it. Mm. Yeah. For, these for me, scenes, it just yeah. looked like it, uh, the, the big scene where we have heard like Hugh Jackman talk about that scene in Logan, uh, where he basically had to take his top off mm-hmm. and he prepared for like three weeks for that scene. He, he yeah. bulked up, he cut roast like, chickens was, like, for breakfast, lunch, lunch and dinner. And dinner exactly. Yeah. And like then on the day, you don't drink water but you've drank like 20 liters the day before and you're not allowed to go to the bathroom that day and but you just have to <laughs> prep so much for this one scene yeah that sounds like torture exactly oh that's yeah but that's what like Hugh Jackman had really gone into it's like it's it's tough to be that cut yeah all the time like you prepare for that okay we're gonna have this one scene we need you to look top shape and then then you can go to the ice cream parlor and gorge yourself after. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I think that's kind of what we see here. Rand is torturing himself. I think he looks a little more attainable, though, because he's kind of not bulky, do you know? I yeah. guess he's a little kind of more svelte looking. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's still, yeah. I guarantee the actor does not look like that on any other day of the year. That is for this scene. I'm, yeah, I'm I, I, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's not to say he suddenly turns out with a beer belly and sort no, of, of course moves. No, but, no, that's I mean, me. That's me. Quite that's frankly. Where basically, <laughs> yeah. That's where he puts on a, a, a mask of weaving uh, and deception in front of him and looks like me. Absolutely. And, and, and again, this is the world of dreams, so maybe he doesn't look like that in uh, in real life either. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, but let's talk about the actual scene be land fear, that's yes. all I say. <laughs> yes. Uh, really, a really interesting moment here um, as he's entering the land of dreams with Lanfear and has been told by Moraine to effectively get as much information out of her as possible by pretending that there is some kind of relationship there. Uh, I like that Lanfear picks up on that almost immediately. She says to him, are you going to pretend that we had a relationship? And notices very quickly that he's calling her Lanfear, not Celine. Uh, instantly, she knows the uh, the reaches of Moraine's influence on Rand here. She knows absolutely, well, you know my name now, so definitely Moraine's got her claws into you. So she makes the deal that she will help him out. She will work alongside him and maybe give him information on Ishmael, but only if he cuts off that relationship with Moraine. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this really interesting. It, it links in with, you know, with Ishmael and, and just the, the whole conversation that Lamphere says, you know, that, you know, she says she's been protecting him over mm-hmm. the last few months, um, in his dreams from, uh, Ishmael and, uh, or and, Ishi she, or Ishi, as she calls yeah. him. I quite Ishi. like that. Touch, no, you're you not know. supposed to be yeah. here. Yeah. Give evil a fun name. Um, so, She's setting herself up that, you know, she is protecting. And I mean, to Moraine's point that she didn't kill him during this time. Exactly. So, you know, you, you, you can see that there's the manipulation of Lamphere here because Ishmael's 
plan is to get Ran to Falm and in the gift of a dream that she does give to Rand uh, to prove that something mattered in those months while um, uh, he was her lover as Celine, mm-hmm. you know, he does choose to go to Egwene, but it's pertinent because that's where he learns that she's in Falm. Mm-hmm. So Lanfear... I find really interesting because it's down to something she says to Leandrin where she says, you know, there are many ways to walk in the night Mm -hmm. in terms of once you become a dark friend, you don't need to follow Ishmael. And yet she is prepping Rand here as part of that wider Ishmael's plan. Yeah. And at the same time as well here, I think, you know, how much suspicion does she have that, Rand is trying to play her. I think she yeah. does have that. There are yeah. just some of those looks. Um, at, but I feel she thinks she's got the upper hand yes. at, at this moment. Um, and I kind of just liked all that sort of conjecture of who's got the upper hand in, in this mm-hmm. world. Um, I really thought it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I like again, you brought up the scene with Leandrin. Um, you, what you're supposed to take from that is while they're all, it's also partially kind of blended with the, the scene with uh, Lan and the Forsaken. Like, there's 12 Forsaken. They are the generals, as called by Lan, of the Dark, the Dark One. Mm-hmm. Like, they're his commanders in chief. Yeah. yeah. They're theoretically a circle. They're a, a, they're a council of Forsaken and Dark Ones. Mm. All different generals. So, they're all, their goal is to do what the Dark One wants them to do, which is bring him back, set him free, do all that. Mm-hmm. But they, Ishi is the, 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 the lead, but they are very, they, they're, they're not afraid to stab each other in the back yeah. to become the favorite one of the Dark One. Absolutely. And that's what we start to see here with, with Celine, with, with Lanfear, that sure, she's going to try and quote unquote help. Uh, Ishi, but she's going to do it her way. And if she can, Ishmael will look bad and she'll get the, the win because exactly. she's going to have plans within plans. She was a master manipulator. She, she's been skulking in people's dreams for a year, yes. for months. Um, so she's going to basically get ran there based on her way and mm-hmm. wants to do what she wants him to do versus what Ishmael wants them to do in film. Yes, and, and that's what I do really like about this scene with Ishmael. We saw a little bit of it last week when uh, Lanfear and Ishmael have that discussion within the yeah. realm of dreams where she's saying, oh, you're getting quite good at this now. This week it is very much, hang on a second, this is my manipulation tool, get out. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't come into his dreams if he doesn't want you here, right? Click fingers and off he goes. Yeah. I thought it was really good. And again, exactly as you say, Chris, it's like her stamping her authority going, hang on a second, I know you're a lieutenant. I'm also a lieutenant here, and I want to be the number one, and I'm going to use all of my manipulation abilities. One of the other things I really liked about her is that she also underlines the fact that she totally is talking to the Dragon Reborn. For me, having not read the books, it always felt like Rand is the Dragon Reborn, which just means he has a prophecy that says he's going to do one of two things, whereas she's very much talking to him as if this is my former boyfriend who died uh, before and now he's been reincarnated as you Rand you're very similar she keeps calling out some of the things he says do sound like Luz um, the yeah. former Dragon Reborn so I thought that was quite interesting in those conversations she, yeah. she's still seeing through Rand she's seeing her past partner yeah 
Yeah, that's and that's really cool. And I think as well, it's just you know this whole thing. It's that classic, you know. Obviously, we're dealing with the Star Wars at the moment, but it, it's that classic, the dark one, making sure that there is, you know, dare I say it, healthy competition amongst his lieutenants mm-hmm. so that they don't all just join up and sort of try to overthrow him, a bit like the Emperor, you know, sort of playing people off uh, one another exactly. in, in the Star Wars world. And, you know, that's classic kind of um, sort of top-level bad guy. And yes. so, yeah. you know, whilst they are competitive and have their own agendas. And, I mean, like last week, uh, Lanfear quite categorically saying, yes, I will betray you, mm-hmm. you know, to Ishmael. So, um, you know, they're always having to look behind their back around one or the other forsaken rather than um, sort of eyes on the prize right, of, just of, that, yeah. of the Dark One, of gaining more power or exactly. those kind of ambitions. So yeah. I, I really like this. And as I say, I think... It's just this neat thing that even though they are, you know, as, as Lamphere said, uh, walking many different paths through the, through the night, ultimately though, it is leading to, um, Rand in Falm yeah. along with Matt. You know, they are singing from the same hymn sheet, mm-hmm. at least for now. Despite having the different sort of ways of going about exactly, it. exactly, yeah. The one of the the, the interesting things I, I always find this is like all roads are converging to a point, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I saw someone say, uh, and I'm not going to call her out because she's my partner. Um, that uh, she was like, oh, it's just so obvious that everyone's going to end up in this place. I'm <laughs> like, it is. It's a prophecy. Yes, that's. It's all based on. Prophecies that the, the, like the prophecy of the dragon reborn mm-hmm. and the prophecy of, uh, the, the poem slash prophecy of the, the daughter of the night coming back mm-hmm. and who she is, the prophecy of XYZ. In the books, they talk more, a lot about the prophecies and yeah. like the, the cryptic messaging. It's not called it as much yet here. They'll probably get into it later. Um, but it is that, like, yes, all roads are leading to these places and everyone's going to accidentally, not really, but kind of well, end yeah. up in a place. Yeah. So everything is going to farm and everyone's going to be in farm, but it's how they are kind of manipulated to go there exactly. or end up through luck or through chance ending up in farm mm. or through just different machinations. Yeah. Everyone exactly. ends up in a singular place, yeah. similar to the last, the, the 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 finale of uh, the last season. Yes. So Pat and Fane was in a certain place. Uh, they were all in a place. Yeah. Everyone was just converging in. Min lived in lived in um, the 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 wasted the blast lands uh, as well. Everyone was there at the end. Yes. So it's all just that kind of like there. It's all very prophecy based. So it's all supposed to be that way. It kind of, but exactly as we were saying in this point, what's probably really interesting about Lanfear here is that she's inserting herself in here to be yes. the one that manipulates Rand to go there. While that is Ishmael's plan, that is the prophecy that he's going to end up there. But if she could take credit for that, that puts her in a higher standing, effectively. Yeah, so exactly. really like that. And she is, you know, subtly sort of turning round against Ishmael. Not that she has to do mm-hmm. too much about it, yeah. but, you know, she calls it out that, you know, by pretending to to be dead, it puts your friends in jeopardy and allows mm-hmm. Ishmael to turn them to the dark, which he is trying to do. Yeah. Um, in 
taking Rand to see Egwene in the dream world, you know, she says that it is Ishmael that has them and, you know, this is his doing, the mm -hmm. predicament and the situation yeah. that Egwene is in. So, and again, calling out this happened before. You know, the last Dragon yes. Reborn had the same type of situation. Other friends around him that he thought would never turn on him and they all turned on him. Yeah, and, and or were turned on him. this is kind of part of, you know, her subtly thinking to the future and the stabbing in the back of Ishmael as yeah. well, which I, I really like. And yeah. it's just a question of whether Rand's friends, you know, they have a different sense of friendship and loyalty because, mm -hmm. yes, everything is saying, like with Matt potentially stabbing Rand in the back, uh, with the the ruby hilted uh, dagger, all this kind of stuff, you yeah. know, um, it's it's just really good because it, it it's that idea of the wheel, the breaking of it, fates, prophecies, all this, and to what extent maybe Rand and his friends as Taviran um, have the agency to alter that mm -hmm. and, and change it exactly. and break fate or exactly. break a prophecy yeah uh, you know yeah. i was joking on our spoiler post that matt doesn't seem to have very much screen time uh this season and i thought this might be his episode since he's there in kyrain um right there with rand he might get some screen time here and a lot of that screen time is off screen <laughs> he meets up with rand and then it cuts back to them after rand's explained the whole situation um they arrange to meet back up together. He talks to Min and Min tells him he's going to be the one that will kill Rand. Or at least that's what her prophecy has said. That's what she's seen in her visions. And Matt decides not to go with Rand and leave the city once again. So again, we've got Matt sidelined uh, in this season. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder how they're going to draw these threads. It's very interesting to see him just kind of skulk behind watching, waiting as Rand mm. leaves for farm. And doesn't actually get to see him, watch him through the yeah I, I, very I, small shed yeah. windows. But I kind of like that scene because you do see the regret Absolutely. in in his eyes. You can see that he wants to, um, but because of what Min has told him, mm -hmm. and um, you know, like I think her last line to him is, you know, you will kill him if, if he's your friend. You sh you need to stay away, and mm -hmm. so you know, you can see that torment the as he's looking through those slats. And I thought that was really co cool. Yeah. I mean, I guess in our spoke too, as well, we'll sort of go a bit further than that because ultimately Rand isn't leaving Kyrain anytime soon. Yeah. Or at least he doesn't by the end of this episode. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Before we get on there, just one other thing to mention. I know you guys kind of call it out a little bit about the uh, Lanfear and uh, Leandrin moment, but I just thought it was absolutely amazing seeing another scene with Leandrin again. She's been Definitely. such a standout star this season. But this moment here where Lanfear is telling her, um, this dedication you have to your son has led you to swear the oaths to the Dark One to keep him alive, but this isn't living, so I will put him out of his misery. But... You can't take back the oaths that you've sworn to the Dark One. Yeah. You have to still stay on uh, that that side. You can walk a different path, but you can't unswear the oaths just because I'm going to kill your son in front of you, basically. <laughs> Which I thought was a really brutal yeah. uh, arrangement, effectively, from Lanfear. Uh, she's saying, I'm going to take this away. He's holding you back. I'm going to kill him. But I know you swore your oaths to, to keep him alive, but 
The other really great thing in that moment with uh, Lanfia and Leandrin is, you know, she absolutely calls out Leandrin's contradiction here. Mm-hmm. You know, as a red um, Aja, you know, men are nothing to her. You mm-hmm. hear this, and yet yeah. she is committed to Ishmael and her son for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And Lanfia says, you know, you're this man is stopping you and holding you back mm. in the same way that Ishmael and men in general are holding you back from your potential. Um, yep. You know, as she is taking and sucking the life yep. out of uh, her son. You've dedicated yourself to the dark one, not to Ishmael. Yeah. I can also take you to the same place, effectively. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, in, in that scene as well, Leandrin, the regret and sobbing of losing her um her boy mm-hmm. is just really good i mean she's yeah. great really um, isn't she? you know yeah. again another really great bit of acting here mm-hmm. um which i just thought was really poignant yeah yeah definitely yeah no and i i think we're gonna end up seeing uh because again we'll go into it now she is there at the end um with the 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 Amorin. so she's there now in Karin. Um, so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. We'll, we'll see a lot of her next episode. Yeah. Um, so I think, great. Right, let's move on to our next spoke mm-hmm. uh, for this episode, which is the Amelin's back. Yes. And she's angry. <laughs> yes, she is. This kind of plays off the scene uh, with Lan in the episode. And I'm not sure I really understood it, but there's the, the earlier scenes where Lan is traveling with Alana and with her warders, uh, Maxim and Ivan. Um, they bed down for the night in the circle of uh, dedicated to the forsaken and then there's this strange moment where um lan decides that he's going to leave which I, I definitely understand he wants to get back to the amaryllis and wants to uh, wants to meet up and and tell her what's happened to moraine but they all stand in front of him saying that he, that he has the potential to be a dark friend and they're going to kill him where he stands unless they tell him um everything he knows why is that can you did you guys Pick that up. So, Moraine had the poem, which was the the poem talking about the prophecy of um, that was actually written onto the seal that held yeah. Lanfear. That was transcribed, given to Moraine, and Lan stole it. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the way that the, the 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 warders think is that he's a dark fiend. He's trying to get back to potentially Moraine, who's a dark friend, and she's there with. The Lanfear. She's released Lanfear. She's the one helping Lanfear. Okay. Um, because he's being, she's being secretive. He's being secretive. Mm-hmm. Not explaining the whole Dragon Reborn bit. Cause they, everyone knows they're hiding something. Yes. They just didn't know what. Yeah. yeah. Because it's getting obvious that like they're, they're doing so. Also, Moraine is still hiding that she's been stilled. Yes. Like yeah. that she has no access. I just kind of thought that they were suspicious of just Lan, not Moraine at all, actually. I thought they were just separating it out, kind of going, well, Moraine separated herself from Lan, and Lan has yeah. this note in his pocket I, um, that we've stolen from him, and this note is calling on, on the fact that he's brought Lanfear back, potentially. Yeah, um, I mean, I, yeah. I think in this moment, it's like, you know, Alana, Ivan, and Maxim, it's kind of, you need to explain yourself because you've mm-hmm. just not said anything, and the immediate thing here 
is you have the potential to be a dark friend and uh, because yeah, okay. of what they found uh, as chris has said you yeah. know the the prophecy that and they suppose- found in uh lands and um, belongings yeah so and i suppose also the fact that he lies to them to get the information as to where the emerald seat is so he's he tells them that it was her that banished him from the white tower and alana knows that's not true yeah so that adds that extra bit of suspicion exactly. but it does lead them to meeting up with the Amarlin in a quite a cool scene uh, as she's traveling through uh, through the landscape uh, realizes that something's not going right outside of her uh, of her carriage and then creates that that uh, crown of daggers yeah. almost which I just know. looks, looks cool. so cool the air so this yeah. is the this is one of the things I love about and we see it every now and again like we saw Leandrin with her kind of sword of air that they're able to kind of weave the air into almost a s- solid kind of looking weave. Yeah, we see that later and in this episode. It's, yeah. it's become but razor sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So you get a lot of that in the book where they're like, "Well, we made a flaming sword, and one of them is this kind of they crystallize the 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 air weave into points mm-hmm. of sharpness." Yeah. And that's it's just so cool to it look. is really cool it's awesome. even cooler when they talk about the battles that happen with them yeah <laughs> because you hear about like these like needles a thousand you know that kind of very anime style is like battle of a thousand needles and it's just like someone getting like punctured a million times with these needles or death by a thousand cuts as they say yeah yeah, yeah. um so they do do that mm-hmm. and i'm like oh i can't wait to see that now absolutely in on live action. Yeah. And as we learned last season, the Amberlin and Moraine have a very, very close relationship. They're, they are lovers. They, um, there's a lot of protection there from the Amberlin for, um, for Moraine. And this leads to the Amberlin seat going to, uh, Kyrene and yeah. taking pretty much every Ace Eye that we've met this season with her. I think it's 14. She says that, that yeah. has been brought with yeah. her to Kyrene. Um, so I think John, you have your theory. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, but I'll let you share it. I don't steal it from you as to why there's 14 of them. And, uh, along with the Amelin going to Kyrene. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think that it will be the Amelin that reconnects Moraine to the one power. Mm. I think here, okay. because I mean, we've yeah. seen Aes Sedai still like Legane. So, you know, they do have the power to still in the mm-hmm. same way that Ishmael has done to Moraine. And it had to um, be all of them working together yeah. to try and take down Legane with his power. So connecting Moraine back to the one power. Um, it, that makes sense. I think I, I really like that theory. I just didn't want to steal it from you. That's all. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, I'm guessing so. I mean, unless they are going to carry this on with Moraine being stilled with that mm. and losing that connection or the, there's another point somewhere uh, in the future. But I mean, I guess this would be one of those opportunities that may play out. Who knows? Yeah. But that, that she is sort of reconnected, unstilled from, yeah. um, by, by the Amelin, uh, certainly given that Lan, you know, told her that they found the dragon reborn. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. And this is the secret that the Amelin and Moraine have had, mm. you yeah. know? And I know I haven't read the books, but my understanding is that Moraine is never quieted and never stilled, uh, at least during this period of the books. So this is a, a new thing for the show. So I presume she is going to be reconnected to the pair. Maybe. Maybe. Um, they do call out, uh, the Andrin calls out the last time that 14 and the Amelin was when they installed the king on the sun throne. Yeah, right. Um, and so they're just going to stick Moraine and make her become uh, the, the true queen of uh, of Kyrene. <laughs> they're not going to give her back her the, power as well. 
<laughs> yeah. They now the thing, Loghain wasn't stilled by the three sisters. He was in the just last. contained, yeah. He was contained, he was shielded. It but, does take a lot more yeah. to still. Um But he has been the, stilled. He has been yeah. stilled now, yes. We just we didn't see how many it took. Right. So the way I'm kind of reading it is that this is very much a because they do. You, we've seen them connect circles. We saw it in the the season finale of season one mm-hmm. where they kind of they join and channel together as one. Yeah. So they connect, connect, connect. Um, yeah. We even saw that in this episode yeah. with uh, with them trying to uh, look at the color. Here we saw three exactly. of the Isidai in and uh, Falm working together in that way. And, so, ag- yeah. and again, whether they have a to Andriel or an Andriel that will heighten their yes, use exactly. of of the the one power through right. the yeah. channeling. So there may be, you know, in, you get the sense that the Amelin seat anyway has a knowledge of things that are held within, you know, the catacombs of Tarvalon mm-hmm. and access to books around different things yeah. that normally, you know, a, a, an average Isodai. Even a sitter, you know, one mm-hmm. of the top of the various different colours um, of Arja, that sh- she knows more. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm guessing something like that might come to play mm-hmm. here in this yeah. moment as well. Yeah. Very quickly, there's a bit we didn't talk about with Rand mm-hmm. and Logan. Yes. Which is Rand goes to Logan, goes yeah. teach me how to to channel, teach me the weaves now. Makes and him puke. Make yes, but the reason he pukes is because basically. Um, Loghain says to Rand, take in power. Yes. Control the power. Take in, take in. One very quick, a quick point on this quick point is, um, we've heard how when the women are channeling, it's about surrendering yourself to the power. They, they, you surrender, you become the flower, the bloom, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Here we hear Loghain talking about, no, take the power, mm-hmm. control it, grip it. Yeah. That's, a, so there's a difference there between the male and female. Absolutely. Persons. Absolutely. Yeah, but the the thing is, Rand takes in so much power. He burns bright, yes, yeah, like so bright you can't even see him. Yeah, yeah. So the whole point there is to and show us how, how, yeah, and he peaks. But he's as power. He's so powerful. Yes, he is the Dragon Reborn. He is more powerful than any other. Yeah, and as we've as, seen exactly. And as Legain says, he says you don't need to understand. How to access it and and channel it yeah. with that much power? You can do anything. I mean, that's what he yeah, says. Yeah, you don't need to end. worry about mm-hmm. anyone. But um, only so if you very much it. what we're seeing yeah. here is the fourteen. I think they're going to try and they're, they're, the whole point is that they know there's a the Moraine has found the dragon reborn, mm-hmm. and if they don't like what he is about, they're going to try and still him. Try and there and then. Him. You, you yes. get the that's impression yep. Yep. from that scene. You know, he is this core of. A, a sun or a dwarf star yes. and it's just all these particles crashing together and releasing this huge energy and yeah. but it, it's just it just happens you get the sense you know so he there's no sense that he can control it um he it's almost like he's just this bomb waiting to yeah. uh explode absolutely absolutely he's got to take control he's got to learn to master yeah. and whip the control back from the power yeah yeah so two very different theories there one uh, that the the nice one that we're going to get uh, Moraine powered. Um, the other one uh, that Rand is going to be stilled by the fourteen. I said I. So uh, so two opposite theories there. Interestingly, well, well I don't think both. they'll do yeah. it. I think that's what they're going to try. I think they're going to try and still Rand now. Uh, thanks for that, Chris. And uh, 
they won't do it because that would kind of end the story and they will uh, they will reconnect Moraine back to uh, the one power as their other option while they're there so uh, those are the two things that I think are going to happen so good stuff but it'll be interesting if that the theory of stilling round happens because of the scene between Moraine and the Amelin um, seat in season one where they go off into the dream world mm-hmm. uh, or through that picture yes. um, at the White Tower and they talk, you know, that they, they have been looking to find the dragon reborn mm-hmm. and to not still him. Yeah. Um, yes. So I think that will be uh, another interesting point here. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Uh, that is the Amelon back, uh, fully paired with Oliver Isodai around So very interested to see what happens in that next episode. Yeah. One other quick thing um, is I know Rima didn't manage to get the letter sent about the Black Arger, um with that realisation. Um, but I think Verin also has realised that, you know, in her investigations in the last episode that there are Black Arger. So you hear her and the other... Um, brown arja in in the library uh saying that can only mean that there are black arja present so mm. yes as well in collecting this group because rima says that means that uh, my sisters in the white tower are in danger mm-hmm. in collecting these together you know is the amelin herself aware of black arja operating in tarvalon maybe even the suspicion that it's Leandrian or has Varen, you know, off screen, unknown, hmm. already been to express those fears to the Amelin uh, in some way. So, like, I, I just wonder if something like that might come into play here as yeah. well. I don't know. Yeah, but it feels like that's something that we should see on screen and we probably will see that next yeah. week. It looks like they're all meeting together in Kyrain. Uh, rather than meeting beforehand and traveling to Kyrene yeah. together. So um, that's the option there for uh, for Varen to actually speak to uh, the Amelin in next week's episode, because yeah, I absolutely. feel like that's quite a big point to just tell off screen <laughs> to the, to the Amelin that uh, there are Black Azure at play here. Somewhere. But I think it's, um, it, it's around, you know, the mystery of the Black Archer as to yeah. whether they exist or not, as to maybe why mm. it's being done like that. You yeah, know, maybe, it's maybe. almost like, is this real or mythical? It's like the unicorn yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, we mentioned Rima there. Let's uh, let's go on to our third and final spoke for this episode um, because Rima is up in Falm um, at, effectively, the site of the breaking of Egwene, uh, which is yes. our third spoke. Um, massively, this is the majority of the episode really is all about the breaking of Egwene. Such a big thing for a young Aes Sedai, someone who has, who has the power of Egwene. And really early on, we hear that from Rene, the handler that's telling her um, what is going to happen to her over the course of this process. She's saying to her that um, in turning a very powerful channeler like Egwene into a Deman, it is the most difficult thing to do, but also the most rewarding for someone like uh, like Rene. Um, I do like that she starts out by saying to her that she's going to treat Egwene well. She believes that they can work together as a Suldam and a Duman, unlike other Suldam and Duman who torture um, their subjects. If this isn't torture, what Rene's doing to Egwene, can you imagine what the rest of them are going through? Yeah. Yep. You well, it, it kind of breaks down, doesn't it? Because Egwene um, doesn't reciprocate that because she immediately sees the jug of water as being a weapon mm-hmm. to smash against Rena's head. So I think. That's 
really interesting because yes, that moment where she links with Egwene and she channels the power and she talks about this affinity that mm-hmm. they have that's demonstrated between Egwene as the demand and Rena as the Suldam and the power in terms of setting that tree on fire. Yeah. And then going back to that simple task, which she then immediately follows up with of pour me a cup of water and um, which she still can't do. And you get this really brutal I mean, it, this is where it's, it's, it's physical from Renna hitting Egwene, mm-hmm. you know, kicking her, beating her, punching her, um, which really is, is this physical brutalization of her. Um, you know, previously it's because she's, um, had those thoughts, um, where the power has, you know, given her, it, I mean, it's still Renna, it's still the situation, uh, but because she can't, hurt a soul dam and any pain for a demand will be will come back on her twofold and mm-hmm. um, you know it's almost like a hands-off thing because it's been done yeah. through the power yeah here she goes hands-on because she realizes in a sense the worth of Egwene to her in this society yeah and um, as well as trying to break her. Yeah. Uh, and it all kind of coalesces into this really violent moment where it gets hands-on from Mm -hmm. from Rena, even though she's been torturing her previous to this. But, you know, it's like that moment. And, I mean, it it was really difficult to watch um, as Rena hurts her. Yeah. But, I mean, it was quite powerful, really. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with, like, that that literally word, powerful. Yeah. Because aside from some kind of more Oscar-chased or Oscar-pointed kind of films about slavery in in America or slavery in Africa, kind of those types of one, you don't see much kind of performances around the breaking of a person's will and spirit mm-hmm. to uh, regarding being a slave. Yeah. Um, and seeing that here, again, it's fantasy, I get that. Yeah. But... The, the performance by the two of them is just so, I'll use your word, John, powerful. It's mm, just, yeah. you're gripped by it. Yeah. In particular, like the, the scene I talk about, think about is the tree. Yes. Where she's taught to channel and show her power and show the joy of channeling and feeling that spirit, feeling the green and the moisture and the roots and everything, and then turned into a weapon, showing yeah. that she has to boil. Like, she has no control on She's, like, her her Soldana is basically saying, no, you're going to boil it. You're going to turn it into fire, and yeah. you're going to burn it to the ground. And destroying and the only it. thing that gave her solace throughout yeah. her yeah. captivity here. She's been looking out that window, seeing this tree grow outside, and she's being forced to destroy it. Um, yeah. That's the other kind of element, the other bit of mental torture. And you're totally right, Chris. This is something you don't see very often portrayed on screen. And it instantly flashed me back to Star Trek The Next Generation with Patrick Stewart. Definitely. Do you see four lights or three lights with the Kardashians trying to um, pervert his mind and turn him into a slave for them? Um, a really standard episode of The Next Generation. And this Stands alongside it quite well, I must say. I think um, the performances here are fantastic. And yeah, it's just those, it's those rules around what 
Adam Mann will feel that idea that mm. if she tries to hurt the Soldam, she'll feel the pain twice over. If she thinks of anything as a weapon at all, she is not able to touch it, even if she's um, dying of thirst as she is here after a couple of days in this cell. Um, she cannot even drink water out of that jug herself until she gives up the notion that it could be used as a weapon. Um, I just thought it was really well, uh, really well written out and really well portrayed. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, and, and to that point of like the psychological uh, side of it uh, as well, you know, in terms of destroying the only thing that gave her solace. It's also, you know, when, when Rena says it's hard to think growing up that you're a person when you're in fact a demand. It's mm -hmm. like you forget everything, you know, and it, it's like she says right at the end, you know, you can never hurt me and you can never leave me. You know, all this kind of loading of the physical and yeah. the psychological on Egwene. And I think the, the thing that I then love about this is that, you know, it's just, it's peppered, at least with two points for me that are really kind of obvious. Not, not, not only just, you know, Egwene's determination that she's going to get out of here, but you have Loyal say, um, there is steel beneath that exterior. Mm -hmm. If anyone can survive this place, it is her. Mm. And Egwene doesn't really survive the place. So but, as we, as it stands at the end of the episode. So it does feel like Loyal's statement that if, if she can be broken, anybody can be broken. And that ties in with, that element that they twist that you see a lot of um, these types of stories where she can hear another prisoner next door. And it turns out the prisoner next door is telling her to give up. The prisoner yeah. next door is re recanting all of the things that Soldam has said to her. And we find out at the end, this is the sitter of the Blue Aja. This is someone that is one of the highest members at the White Tower who has been turned quicker than Egwene was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really liked all those elements playing together to show you how destructive and torturous this process is yes but even in that moment so i totally get you you know even that moment were at least in the appearance of it Egwene has been broken by rena um and she pours that water into the cup and mm -hmm. then again another psychological gut punch of it just being poured away um you know i think this is where madeline madden's acting here is phenomenal because once she leaves and she's drunk um from the jug mm -hmm. i'm there going i still see the fight in her eyes mm -hmm. linking back to what loyal says so she's just really clever and strategic so she is going to you know submit it's it's kind of that notion of play dead when a bear comes at you Maybe. so that you don't get attacked okay i'm gonna play dead here for mm. my Suldam, uh, because otherwise that's not going to get me anywhere. What I meant is I, I just felt in that face at the moment as she looks out before uh, the blue sitter in the cell next to us, I felt just a steely determination mm. and resilience that Loyal mentioned. I just thought that was really cool because it gives you hope given all this crap that's been thrown out in yeah. this episode. So, um, you know, I thought it was really, really good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know? I, I just want to quickly just talk about the final scene. Like, literally, like you said, you talk, she's drinking the water, and then you hear the voice mumbling. You can... The way the audio is built in this is very good. You're not yeah. sure if it's actually a mumble or that she's hearing things. Mm -hmm. Like, I turned it up, and I was like... 
wait, is there something there? Because it was indistinct, like kind of indistinguishable, kind of chatter, kind mm. of that type of thing, mumbling. Um, but then seeing that it is the sitter of the, as you said, the sitter of the blue Aja, mm. yeah. the, one of the most powerful of her. And we had previously seen this character with Moraine, um, telling Moraine what to do. Like she is no slouch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, you lasted longer than me, child. Yeah. Um, this is setting up that Egwene, well, we know she is powerful. Like we mm-hmm. keep getting told, everyone keeps talking about how powerful she's not just powerful in body in terms yeah. of her mm-hmm. ability of the source. She's powerful in mind that she lasted up until now. I think what John was getting to in terms of you still see that fight. I, I kind of agree and don't agree in that. Like, what you really want is that she is broken. Like, she is now, for the next 60 to 70 minutes of this episode, next episode, she's broken, she's thing, and then something rouses her Yes, yeah. to fight back and break her way out. I, I know, I, I, I'm I the same. I wouldn't necessarily say I want to see her broken. I want to see the scars of what she's gone through. Yes, when okay, it, pro- you know, probably I mean, better way of describing it. it, yes. she, it I'm not saying she's not broken and yeah. she's not hugely scarred from what she's been put through by Rena, but part of her still survives and that's yeah, what so. you see there and that's the hope mm. uh, for her and, you know, God bless Rena, despite all uh, her nastiness, uh, when she hopefully can escape that collar, even though what we do hear from, you know, one of Rena's lessons is that the um, Adam, uh, which, I, you know, the Adam or the Edam uh, cannot be removed. Um, and we by hear her. By her. And we hear it was uh, created by... Um, an Aes Sedai of the White Tower. Mm. So, yes. you know, interesting little bit of information there. So mm. I just wonder whether anything will play out from that little sort of kind of line. Uh, mm. But I think the other side of it is, as well, you were talking about the music and, and that soundscape here. I absolutely loved how that final moment with Egwene, you know, as Rena is effectively hanging her up on a hook mm-hmm. in her cell. Yeah. And it's cutting between that and the fight that Rima and her warder are having with the uh, Senshan uh, in, in Falm, in downtown Falm. Fantastic. Uh, it was, it yeah. actually made both the fight scene. Yeah. And Egwene's torture really, really tense. And it, 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 you're kind of wanting them both to escape all of this. And mm-hmm. in the end, both of them don't. And you yeah. have the, the, the tragedy of Rhyma being collared herself mm-hmm. and, and the pain that inflicts after seeing her warder, Bassan, being killed by, again, pointier, um, straight, straight through the back from yeah. one of the Senchan. So I just found this like fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But not only that, not only that she watches her warder die, she watches her warder die in the act of telling him, don't you let me get captured yeah. by the Shenzhen. You let me die here. You kill me. Yeah. You take yeah. me out. I cannot be quelled. I cannot have this collar put onto me. So that is in itself such a powerful moment seeing another I said I quelled by the Shanshan. Um there is that conversation that she has with Nynaeve and Elaine where she tells them that two other Aes Sedai lost their lives and the sitter on the on the of the Blue Aja 
has been taken by the Shanshan, yeah. telling them how powerful these these people are. While they're trying to work on the collar and work out a way to free Egwene, um, she's telling them, if you channel too much power in here, they're going to find us. So we need to be very careful about how we're working here. And yeah. she pays the price for Nynaeve not being able to control the power like that. Yeah. Um, Nynaeve, again, is so powerful that it attracts the attention of the Shanshan to this place, which has been an area where the Aes Sedai has lived for a fair while in secrecy. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, she's so powerful, but it's almost like she is the rand of uh, of um, the Aes Sedai in the sense that because she can't control it, it's like yeah. it, it floods from a, a as, yeah. a, as an you know in intense emotional uh, aspects. And I think what I really like about this is that Zoe Robbins, who plays Nynaeve, is just really good at sort of capturing that, but also even when she's not being asked to channel, you know, Nynaeve is always on edge. It's like she's mm-hmm. always, her eyes are always darting. She's always suspicious. Um, she's always kind of of other people, even Rima. And it's only in that moment when Rima is effectively quelled with the collar and mm-hmm. um, that, to me, you see Nynaeve realizing that actually she wasn't going to betray them. She wasn't going to, you know, she is sense. fighting for them. And because she's wanting to go out and help well, and you have the it, yeah. objectivity, you know, the, the clarity of thought from Elaine in that moment that we just can't, you know, yeah. this is it. This is the saddest part about it is that in order for us to save Egwene and potentially Rima now, mm-hmm. we have to stay hidden. We have to, we, we can't give in to our urges, which exactly. is what Nynaeve always plays off. Um, and in, in a lot of cases, you know, that I always feel that the, this almost gut feeling that Nynaeve has, but it's, it's not really a gut feeling. It's just suspicious sort of broadly brushed across everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly because she has been betrayed by Leandrin, who she kind of thought she was opening up to, um, sort of touches everything. I mean, even a, a Elaine, a, I like how Elaine sort of cuts back at her in this, um, when Rima is saying, you know, you need to get out of here. You need to tell and, and hand this note about Black Arja to the Amelin seat herself. It, it, you know, and Nynaeve is like, well, Elaine, you take it. You know, we can't have the heir apparent. Uh, to Andor, mm. uh, staying here in danger. And Elaine kind of, you know, comes back and says, Oh, now you call me the heir apparent, mm. not the princess like you have been doing. And, yep. you know, she has to explain the reason she wants to help and save Egwene is because she is her friend and she's never had one of those because she is an heir apparent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The one very small bit I wanted to talk about is the, um, Nynaeve does get a lesson here without knowing it uh, about kind of it's very much a Yoda do, don't think just don't try just do yes exactly because it's her way of embracing because at the moment we've heard that she has a block it's intense emotion is what allows her to to kind of channel mm. but here what we see is that she was able to channel yes she briefly was by just letting go not thinking about it just yeah. kind of just doing now she didn't control it because it's just so much power but she did learn to channel that small brief bit so this there's a thing there which is this is a kind of beginning of yeah absolutely but i suppose what was interesting about that was that rima and uh, elaine 
were trying to work out the secrets of the Adan and they needed a little bit more power from Nynaeve, she poured in a little too much power and instantly got the read of what the Adam is. She says that it is broken and can only be fixed when attached to a woman. Yep. She hasn't found the secret of how to open it, but she's found the secret of how it closes and how it traps the intended victim, I guess, of, yep. of it, that it will feed off the the woman that it's put around the neck of because that is its purpose and that is its yep. only purpose. I thought that felt, it made it feel like the Adam is a living device almost. Well, Nynaeve says it's a terrestrial again, mm. one that channels the source. So which... I, I love that they helped me out as a non-book reader and <laughs> reminded me that the, the Teandril are the arches, the things that are objects throughout this world that can all have different powers. So they yes. called out that that yeah. uh, whole experience that Nynaeve went through was caused by the fact that she was going in these Teandrils, that some can be good, some can be bad, all have different uh, things about them, but all of them are magic objects. Absolutely. So, and they're yeah. actually a lot of them in terms of their use have only come about from experimenting with them yes. and losing a lot of people on the way to mm-hmm. find out actually how they can use these these objects. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was really good. Yeah, Excellent stuff. Gentlemen, I think it's about time we break our spoke talk and move to any notes. Anyone have any notes for this episode? Uh, I I have one, um, just because, to be honest, uh, Rosamund Pike uh, and Lindsay Duncan, I could watch um, in a spin-off of House Damadred, to be honest. <laughs> um, again, I think, and again, so much great, great uh, performances in, in this episode. But again, I just loved um, kind of this flip-flopping between Moraine and Annevere uh, in terms of, argument you know make up arguments and again we have um i mean in a sense we see the arrogance of moraine here i mean you can see why she's not an easy person to like Mm -hmm. um when her sister challenges her simply because she was being an absolute nightmare to um her nephew bothanus who absolutely adores her yeah um and you know she says i want you out of this house and city by tomorrow and moraine just kind of retorting back you know you live here at my good grace Mm. um i am the damadred uh and Again, it, but it's just that sisterly kind of, you know, family infighting uh, that Annevere just goes back, you know, because, you know, you got none of what made him their father good. None of it. She kind of just emphasizes again, mm-hmm. uh, you are mother through and through. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, wow, this is proper family feud Absolutely. kind of tr- trudging up the past and like, both of these actors, I just absolutely find them hypnotic in these moments that they've done now yeah. over the last three episodes. Um, whether it's even integral to the story, I don't know, because I think in the books, I'm really only just at that point where Moraine's uh, surname even, or, or real, you know, I guess non Sedai name of Damadred has kind of cropped up. Right, right. Um, and... You know, th- this is just really, really um, lights my fire. I-, I think these two are great. I'd love yeah. to, ju- as I say, just see some kind of spin-off. Yeah. How's Damadred, the battle, you know, <laughs> battle royale? I really, I really liked it. And one of the things I, I kind of get from Moraine is that she was kind of willing to let her sister just keep the house, keep the name, 
no problem because she's going to outlive her by so many years that yeah. she could just walk back in and take over the house at any stage. So even though she's the heir, uh, the heir to the house, um, she's effectively kind of going, yeah, you stay there. It's grand. No problem at all. You'll be dead probably in another 10 or 15 years. And I'm still going to be just as young looking as I am right now and can walk back in and take over. Uh, but don't challenge me. Um, you're here by my good graces, as she says. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, even where Annevere says, you know, about when the, her father was dying and he only mm. wanted you, Moraine, and you never came, even though we sent messages to yeah. the White Tower. You yeah. know, what was so important? You know, it's almost, you, you've abandoned this house, mm-hmm. you've abandoned this family. You have no right here. And that's why she tells her to go. And in a sense, Moraine just says, I have every right. Exactly. You know, and I was like, oh, Moraine. You need a PR agent or something. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one note, just a really fun one, which is the discussion with Lan and the Forsaken. Because mm. when they take refuge, um, in they take refuge in a in a shrine to the Forsaken. To, to the um, and they drop in that isn't it interesting? The Forsaken have powers that have been forgotten. They were able to do things that oh, yeah, yeah. um the Aes Sedai don't even couldn't even imagine now mm-hmm. um and that we saw briefly we saw that in season one we saw a kick back to before the breaking of the world and we saw the original dragon yeah. and the, the skyscrapers and mm-hmm. the flying things and all that we saw that yeah so remember the forsaken have been around for millennia mm-hmm. for thousands of millions of years well millions, thousands of years before the breaking and uh, before the dark one was sealed away so they have powers that the i said i don't do, can't even think of now don't know how to make a weave yeah of and this is what kind of that's setting that 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 they they're able to do things that other i said i can't yeah they can build um, flying cars apparently yeah well maybe not flying cars <laughs> but other flying on the weave yes exactly yes. exactly the flying car goes where the weave wills <laughs> i can't go. remember if it was a flying car or if it was something else in the, the background it was very it was, quick it was a very quick yeah, shot but it was yeah. it was more just that it is like a skyscraper type city which is different yes, to exactly. all of the landscape we've seen so far through the season yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. uh good stuff uh, i've got one quick note uh just to come back to loyal we mentioned him earlier on but uh loyal now working for the Shanshan. Um, and I just think there was a really interesting moment there with Lady Surath where she tries to treat him like a pet and get him to do tree singing to entertain her guests. And the minute he entertains them too much and they start to revere what Loyal is doing, she laughs and claps and decides that he's going to be a gift for uh, for her her boss, effectively. Um I love that change in face of Lady Sarath as yeah. she realizes, oh, oh, this is changing on me. I thought it was just going to be a funny, uh, a funny joke to have him perform for us, but now everybody's looking at him uh, like he's something precious. Um, yeah. So I'll get rid of him. <laughs> I just yeah. thought that was quite interesting. And we see as well Loyal and the Shinaran Inter um, plotting mm-hmm. to get the horn of Valer um, out of the. The, the sort of room of curiosities that Turok has um, sort of gathered together. Yeah. Um, and I'm also Loyal. planning to free Egwene. Egwene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. Excellent stuff. I think that's all for the notes. So, gentlemen, we have spoke and let nice. us move on to our final wrap-up of this episode. John, what's your final thoughts of episode six of The Wheel of Time? 
Uh, I absolutely thought this was a fantastic episode, mm-hmm. uh, probably the best so far of season two, mm. uh, maybe even of um, actually all the episodes so far from season one and season two. Uh, I would give this five dishy issues out of five. Yeah. <laughs> um, I th- I just thought the performances here just coalesced into something really, really magical, where in, in many respects, um, just the power of them in particular – uh, with Egwene and Renner, um, mm. and that imprisonment and torture, um, were just absolutely stand out. Very visceral, very powerful, um, and, you know, so sort of captured again through the, the, uh, coloring of, uh, Rhymer at the end. I, I just thought this was really fantastic. And I do feel, you know, Egwene down, but not out here. I think there's a little glint, mm. um, there of resilience in her eyes still. Yeah. Uh, as I say, akin to sort of playing dead, um, you know, to think that they have, uh, finally broken her. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think the whole aspect around Rand and Lamphere, was really good and how that connected him with Ishmael and just the different ways of walking through to get them to Falm, you know, the mm-hmm. different techniques being used by Ishmael and Lanfear. And while they are divergent in some respects, they're also very much still trying to um, enact the plan of the Dark One, yes. uh, just in very different ways. Um, I think just, yeah, and Moraine and her sister, Anna Vare, uh, I just thought really fantastic. For me, this was all about performances. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that they went there around Egwene's treatment because it is really a big part of book two um, and, and so on. And so I'm glad they didn't decide to skip that element, um, you know, in terms of adapting these huge number of books and uh, mm-hmm. i'm really glad they decided to focus on this uh, because you do get the sense that it is transformative in many ways for Egwene. Uh, yeah. so yeah five dishy issues out of five excellent stuff derek what's your final thoughts for this episode of the wheel time I absolutely love this episode. That was brilliant. I think exactly as, as John said, there's just so much going on here, but so well handled and it kind of resting on the shoulders of a, a Gwen here, uh, really brings her character back to the fore where I felt she was kind of, uh, in the background for the first, uh, five episodes of the season. This was a masterclass. This was absolutely brilliant to watch. I know we spoke a little bit about the, uh, the battle with Rima, mostly to do with the end of it, where she gets the collar put on her. But throughout that battle, I mentioned at the beginning of the season how they're handling the weaves this season is so much better than the first season. You can really see the power behind them. And in this battle, you see her twisting the Shenshan who are after her into pieces. Absolutely taking one after another out, really destroying them, showing how powerful she is. And that contrast of how powerful she is, her losing her warder, her being collared, and Egwene being collared all at the same time adds even more power to the Shanshan and how they are such a big threat to the Aes Sedai and such a big threat to this entire world now that they're here. If this person, Rima, can't get herself out of the situation, what hope are there for our major characters who aren't even trained the way they are? Um, Loved it. I thought thought this really added so much to the lore of the series. Really, really good. How about yourself, Chris? What's your final thoughts on the episode? 
I, I again echo pretty much everything you guys have said. Um, for me, this is a series and a show that just continuously builds. They're changing enough things for me to be unsure how things are kind of being put together. And I find that so refreshing and fantastic because it's not like a show I've already watched before. Mm. So in that I've watched, imagine you've your, your second viewing of a show. You already know where things are. You kind of pretty much understand the story beats and you just, it's years in between from watching it. This, it's years in between, but the things are happening out differently, slightly. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is fun. I don't know how you're putting these puzzle pieces and I'm enjoying it. Add to that the bloody standout performances mm-hmm. from the, the, the actors here and just the visuals that they are adding on top and how they are visualizing the power of the one power and the different thing, like the, the, the beating of Egwene and the taking of the, from that same VFX, that's just like, effects they're the makeup they're doing Mm -hmm. so so fascinating how they're like making it look so real Mm -hmm. and again it's just like 20 years ago you'd never see that yeah and so it's just really fascinating uh and then just the how they end the stories how they're ending the episodes and how i'm drawn so much into the next episode Mm -hmm. i'm like Give me Friday already, people. <laughs> waste away my week so I can just end and wake up and watch another episode. Yeah. Um, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, looking forward to episode seven. With all that said and done, I've spoken a lot. I need a drink. So let's head on over to our Wheel of Time Tavern for our Wheel of Time Tavern quiz. Yes, fellow wheelies, fellow quizzes. Uh, we are on to question six. Here we go. What is the name of the prison known as where Egwene is held? Really had to avoid saying that throughout this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because it's such a good name it for really it. It really is. It really is. It just it just stresses so much about um what is happening to these uh, to the people that are held there. So uh, great stuff. Do you want to get the question one more time, John? Yeah. What is the name of the prison known as where Egwene is held? Excellent. All those questions, uh, all six of the questions for the Wheel of Time Tavern Quiz are available over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. Put together the answers to all eight questions at the end of the season. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and you could be in with a chance of getting your hands on some Wheel of Time goodies. Great stuff. Let's pop on over to some feedback from our fellow wheelies. We got an email in from Coffee and Vodka, of course, for this episode, who says, Greetings, fellow hot-colored defenders. This was easily the most solid of the installments so far. Packed with plot, character development, and intrigue. Keeping it to one element, as otherwise this would be a novel rather than an email, The Trial of Egwene is powerful stuff, with her trainer aptly supplying the title of the episode, Eyes Without Pity. Her fight and breaking felt real, down to the psychological trauma, bloodshot eyes and welts. Madeline Madden, so often overshadowed by the plot and script favouring Zoe's naive, shined here. I really hope she continues to receive more of the spotlight, and I do not pity her trainer for the whirlwind she hopefully (laughs) reaps. Rand, Matt, Loyal, everyone, including the supporting characters, popped with three-dimensional life. Every step towards the upcoming major confrontation feels epic and dire. So far, they're knocking it out of the park with season two. Looking forward to both the next episode and next season. Hashtag support the writers. Five mother fewers, Sha Mats, and Lan turns out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. P.S. Despite or maybe due to her performance, I kept waiting for her to yell, there are four lights. Anyone else get that vibe? Yes, we did. Coffee and vodka. Yeah, definitely felt like Patrick Stewart's moment with the Kardashian in um, Star Trek Next Generation. 
Yes, I, I actually wrote it in my notes yeah. <laughs> as yeah. shorthand for what was going on. <laughs> uh, Yes, and uh, agree with you. Hashtag support the writers. Uh, we need them to get back to work on season three and season four of this God, show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I do feel that while she is broken, I I hope I correctly identified, you know, the resilience and glint in those bloodshot eyes as well. Mm. But it could have just been the blood, of course. It could, it could have <laughs> been. It could have been. But I don't think we will leave her this way uh, for long, no. especially not with friends like Elaine and, uh, and Nynaeve there and Loyal all there to try yeah, and help exactly. and save her. Yeah. And hey, Rand is trying to get on his way to save her too. So uh, everybody joining together in Falm to try and uh, free uh, Egwene. At the, by the yep. end of the season, yeah, it sounds like at least it may only be one episode of her um, being trapped by the Shankar. Definitely, great stuff. Thanks very much, coffee and vodka. Yeah, thanks, coffee and vodka. Thanks, coffee and vodka. And that's all our feedback for this episode. So we're gonna move on and say we'll be back next week for episode seven of the Wheel of Time. It's mm. gonna be good. Penultimate episode next week. Only two yeah, episodes yeah, left no. in the season. Oof. It's, it's, there's a lot to do and I can't wait to see how they do it. Mm-hmm. We are also covering Ahsoka. If you like to travel to a galaxy far, far away, we just did that this week and we'll do it again next week as well. And if that's not enough, in the coming weeks, we have Loki season two and the spin-off of the boys. It's college based craziness it is gen v Mm -hmm. yes we'll be covering that as well on tv podcast industries so there's a lot coming make sure you subscribe by heading on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and joining on the main feed each of them will have their own feeds but just make sure you've subscribed on all of them just to make sure you don't miss each and every episode absolutely it's important yeah yeah gen v coming out on uh prime video on the 29th of september so same day and i believe time as Wheel of Time comes out, we get the first three episodes of Gen V coming out. We still can't talk about it, guys, but we will be able to talk about it from the 29th of September. Yeah. Um, why are they doing that? Why are they trying to shut down their service and put out um, three episodes of the boys spin off on the same day as the penultimate episode for Wheel of Time? Well, that's Seems crazy. That's they should have it. Hold it, held it for two weeks. It's all they need to do. That's it. I mean, <laughs> even the Wheel of Time just seems to have flown that we are mm. at the penultimate episode uh, next week. Yeah. It just seems like such a short period of time. It's like, why, dare I say it, do studios or services not want their great work to ruminate throughout the ages? Well, absolutely, and there's going to be a gap, even though, uh, thankfully, all the unions are talking as we speak uh, right now on the podcast, all the unions are talking, so the, um, With the, stri- studios, yeah, the yeah. strikes may be over uh, by the time we release this episode. But even then, it's been over 100 days since people have been writing uh, shows and uh, projects shut down production so uh, there's going to be a gap they probably should have uh, spread the release of some of these shows so uh, <laughs> we don't feel that gap as badly as we did the last time there was a writer's strike um, but hey at least we have this great work uh, to, to see us through at the moment yeah absolutely fingers crossed Fingers crossed. And if not, you'll be listening to our musings on our musings. We will rate and review and discuss each other's crazy thoughts. <laughs> That's what our podcast will be about in the future. <laughs> or we'll eventually, finally go back and cover seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. of this podcast. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll speak to you again next week. Yes, thank you again, fellow wheelies, for joining us. Until next time, keep watching, keep listening, and... Keep freewheeling. Bye. Bye.